0: Fionora, thank you very much for joining us today. Um, it's Black History Month in the United Kingdom this October. Um, having played here at Huddersfield Town and with your new role at the Premier League uh, as head of EDI, uh, what does this month mean for you?
1: I think this month means um, maybe a sharper focus on issues and actions that really are all year round. So obviously we focus on Black History Month and it's October, it's well established, but ultimately if we talk about history and we want to be embedded within history generally. It shouldn't, it shouldn't need, hopefully at one time in the future, a special month. You'd like to feel that some of the issues around the history of this country should be represented by people of colour, people who've contributed in an enormous way, not just on the pitch, off the pitch in so many ways. So... That's the journey, and hopefully we'll get there.
0: It's clearly something you're passionate about, given the the role you have with the Premier League now. Is that something that was born out of your playing days at at clubs like Huddersfield and elsewhere?
1: Yeah, it's interesting, really. I think even growing up as a kid, you don't have the option, really, as a kid growing up, and especially those days, to be aware of society around you. I grew up in Liverpool, and it was very much a febrile atmosphere around, and we had the riots in 81, and a lot of major cities. So you know you, you you're socially aware because you have to be. You, you know you, you know your family and you, you, you're around it and you have got your siblings and and the society as it is. So in one sense it gives you a kind of sense that we've moved from the, some of those days. Um, but by the time I came into football, I think the atmosphere was slightly different because, even, unlike now where there was um, uh, you know players are using the platforms. You know, and I admire them incredibly. Some of the work that people like Raheem Sterling and Marcus Rashford particularly have done have been fantastic. But it was a very different era then. I mean, just being that town, I remember games played here and there was abuse coming down from the terraces and no one literally said a word. And that's not a criticism of anybody. That was just the times we were in. No one said a word. Nowadays, it'd be front-page news. And that just shows that we are making stands. I know for some people, it feels like there's a lot happening, but that's, 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 a, that's a sense of change. You know, there is a lot of changes going on at the moment and some people are uncomfortable with change. But out of out of all that chaos of change, normally, if you look at society, we do see progress, which is where we all want to be.
0: Unfortunately, I, I think for, for some people it's not enough progress. Uh, we saw from the European Championships in the summer and the reaction to... Miss penalties and something as, as trivial as that, as, as important as, as football is to people like yourself and I who live and breathe it, it's it's still something where that intolerance can rear its ugly head within the game, and that's possibly just a reflection of society.
1: Yeah, I mean we've seen even this list last week some tragedy, ha- tragic happenings with the MP, and and you know we're just in that space really, as a society where we've learned to not listen to people and get along and have conversations. I think we do, but <clears throat> excuse me. what's happened is we've got platforms now unlike we did unlike 20 years ago where some of that abuse can go on and almost undetected, uh, whereas we didn't have social media before. So I think a lot of the work I do with the Premier League is um, holding social media companies to account. It's been well documented, you know, you mentioned the Euros, and since then, before then, where hate speech is, is being allowed. And I, I say aloud because they're not working hard enough to, to combat it. I think for some, maybe there's that First Amendment thing in California, they're wedded to free speech. Well, free speech and any speech comes with responsibilities. And it's shifting that narrative that free speech comes with responsibility and the social media companies have got to accept that they're not just publishers, they're owners of, of whatever's on the platforms. But that's an ongoing, that's an ongoing challenge. Um, there's legislation going through through the through the parliament at the moment, which I hope gives them gives them tougher measures to combat it and hold social media account, to accounts. But as long as there's a platform, and as long as this outliers and I call them the outliers these people who think it's a safe space to to say what they want and say and are allowed to do it, they're always going to have these problems, which are amplified around sport and events, around situations that we saw in the Euros. So there's a long way to go and society's all got to play the part.
0: Looking at it possibly slightly more positively, because it's, it's not all negative, do you think there has been some progress that's been made from from your playing time to the you know for the players that are playing now?
1: Oh undoubtedly. And like I said, that's the, you know, almost saying the abuse that used to happen in terraces can't happen now. So some of the in stadium work has been really good. I know a lot of clubs <clears throat> throughout the leagues have worked incredibly hard around that. They've really got a message around things like Black History Month and um, No Room for Racism with the Premier League. So they've all got behind it, and, and that's a great thing. The problem is now it's shifted slightly to, uh, to another space, which I'm not saying clubs it's clubs' responsibility to do that. It's, um, it's the social media companies, like I said, but that difference, that intolerance of abuse that, uh, on the stadium, in, in stadia and on the terraces is being the big shift. Like I say just even off the top of my head, a couple of occasions, abuse, 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 uh, tolerant, to, um, allowed to happen and in a way that's not allowed to happen nowadays we do hear of it. To speak
0: outside of um, the community, the black community, anyone from a, a minority community who is probably aware unfortunately how it feels to be on the end of abuse Could you just give us some insight onto personally how that can affect a person when you are called a name, when you are belittled or when you are, uh, you know, othered in in that sort of a way?
1: Yeah, I mean, listen, we know football, it's it's very tribal, you know, rival fans clash and and anyone who comes into football accepts that, whether the player, fan, whatever. What happens when you go to abuse of that kind, kind, derogatory abuse based on race, it becomes dehumanising. You know, you know. For some people, I think it's still, it's still difficult to understand uh, how you can, you know, um, how you can kind of internalise that. But you do. It takes a thick skin and thicker skin than many people I know have got to kind of just sugar it off. It eats away. And for many people of my generation, we ask this, we ask the questions now. Did we internalise it too much? Should we have spoken up now? The way the players are doing. You can never answer those questions, but. Just to, you know, that empathy of being able to walk a mile in someone's shoes. You know, you, you, and and they've done this on, they've done this, they've they've done experiments on this. Um, I saw one uh, a few years ago where someone dressed up as a black person just to see what it would be like for a day. And if you ever experienced that, if you ever just stepped inside someone else's shoes, and it might not just be black, it might be, you know, you know being a disabled person for a day, the way you're othered as you use it, the way you're uh, cast aside and it's really it's really difficult to imagine unless you've experienced it and the challenge is then what at what level do you challenge it because then you're denounced as being I'll oh, playing the race card I heard that a lot when I was younger, and you know you, that almost that almost makes you just kind of get on with it and that's not helped to you. I've got older children got younger children. And some of the messages I'm having to say to my younger children are the same I had to say it to my older children. And that can't be right. At one point you want to say, clean slate, guys. We've moved on enormously. I don't think we'll ever, we'll never combat it completely. But we need to get to a space where it's, it's not tolerant, it's, it's, not, um, it's not allowed. It's, it's looked upon in the same way that we once looked upon drink driving or something like that, where, you know, we kind of got used to, and I'm talking now social media, where people would say, oh, it's OK, to have a now we know it's not right, and we know it's not right to do this, No, know it's not right to do that. What people do behind their own closed doors and their own walls isn't my concern. It's really not. But what people do on public platforms, it should be everyone's concern.
0: I think one of the, the things that's most telling in, in football, especially when you work behind the scenes, is and, and something that fans might not get a grasp of because players are put on a pedestal and what have you, is these are very young men. Uh, you mentioned Raheem Sterling and, and Marcus Rashford, they're still in their early 20s and you know, these aren't grown adults who have been through their full life, that are having to you know, wrestle with these things and, and speak up and that sometimes looks uh, you know, ignored and especially the academy lads that are then seeing those as an example. It's really tough from our perspective to sort of rationalise how effectively young people are, are being threatened in this day and age still.
1: Yeah, it's a great point, and you know, even going back to the summer, which you mentioned, Bukayo Saka, not even out of his teens, and he gets out of abuse from, you know, middle-aged men. You know, what's that about? You know, you just can't um, can't actually comprehend it. These guys. I think there's an acceptance, and we're hoping that that changes. That because they're they're wealthy, and because they play in the Premier League, they, you know, we can shelter them because they earn thousands of pounds a week. It's got nothing to do with it. You need to park that. And again, that's that cultural shift we need to make. You know, I wouldn't go, we wouldn't go to a concert and watch it and start booing at a, a band who were just about to play. How long do you think they'd last on stage? They'd walk off. You went to the theatre and watched. Um, went to watch a show. How long do you think they'd last? It's the same kind of dynamic. It doesn't matter how much people are being paid, abuse isn't acceptable. Uh, you know, even worse when, like you say, when the young guys just starting out, very, very young in life. And that's why I admire them immensely and the academy lads. You know, you want, when they grow up, to be hopefully fully-fledged professionals, that some of this has been um, um, shown the door at, 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 and, and promptly. And, and it's up to people, I think, of my generation, to make it easy. You know, that's our job to make things easy for the next generation. Um, and that's our challenge, and that's what, that's how I see my role.
0: How do you think that, that people who want to promote tolerance and, and be... Um, part of a, a movement or, or be a help to certain communities, how can they go about doing that in a way that, you know, isn't seen as, as co-opting anything or, or being a, an issue in its own way, but, but actually being a, a help and a difference that, that makes a, a tangible impact?
1: Well, I think, I think some of that's happening actually. And I think some of the most powerful thing, we talk about when I was playing, how different it was then. Not just the black players now, what you see is their colleagues. The allyship is massive because, we, you know, we can't solve this on our own. People come to, you know, black people and say, what well, um, what can we do about the problem? You know, there's <laughs> nothing I can do. It's, it's, it's happening outside of, out of my, outside my, our community. So the allyship is massive. And you've seen that in other areas that, you know, you've seen the other movements, say, for example, the anti-apartheid movement in South Africa. That wouldn't have happened for the, the Lording of icons like Nelson Mandela. That wouldn't have helped, uh, happened without the without the support and allyship of of white South Africa as well, white South Africans disown the civil rights movement. So every movement for change, whether it's um, civil rights, whether it's female universal suffrage, whether it's trade union rights, nothing that was ever achieved without people who weren't directly affected saying, actually, I stand shoulder to shoulder with you. You tell me what I can do and I'll be right there. That's so important and that's a great thing now as well. When we did... um, when we did the taking the knee video before the, before the <coughs> start of the season, some of the biggest voices of support were you know, the Premier League captains when we did the Zoom, was people like Harry Maguire, Kevin Debut, you know they were very, They'd just come from the England set-up in the summer. Obviously, we know what happened. And they were vocal, no, this is what you want to do. This, this issue isn't over. We need to keep in mind it, and that's really powerful. So I would say the same. Get involved, stand next to people, stand shoulder to shoulder. And again, it's something you know, the, the, the outpouring. And again, that's, you know, you didn't want it to happen, but actually, what happened in the summer, the the support that people like Marcus Rashford got. I live in Manchester, not far where the his mural was, and the, everyone came and put uh, banners on it. Same with Bukayo Saka, and that was really humbling for those guys, really humbling for myself. And that doesn't come without people saying, "I'm not a black person, I don't know what's happened, I can't step inside your shoes, but I will support you." that's powerful
0: you mentioned taking the knee and, and issues like that um, a lot of that has been met with some hostility because I think of just a, a lack of understanding of, of what it's about and and what that represents and I think people some perhaps might willfully misunderstand it yeah. some through just you know accidental ignorance and and perhaps just need educating what would you tell people who perhaps see that and don't have the ability to agree with it because they, they just don't have the knowledge base around it. How would you confront that issue?
1: Yeah, I'd love to... You'd go on with and say, well, go on, what, what form of visible protest would you like, is acceptable to you? Because don't forget, the, the, the civil rights... I mean, it's been going hundreds of years, but the civil rights movement adopted taking the knee as a direct um, statement of a peaceful protest. It's the ultimate supplication, is it? You bend your knee, you, 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 you lay down your arms, you're making a statement but it's not aggressive, it's absolutely, um, it's, it's absolutely noble, it's kind of got a nobility about it. So how that's being allowed, and like you say, willfully allowed at times, to be turned down and seen as aggressive and synonymous with this or synonymous with that. And maybe football, maybe other people haven't worked hard enough to articulate that message, but it's ultimately a gesture, that goes back to Martin Luther King in the, in the more recent popular culture, of um, peaceful protest, this is what we stand for, you know, we're, we're, we're making a peaceful protest to support, to support Black Lives Matter with a small b, small l, small m, because that's what it's about. Black Lives Matter as much as white lives matter. That's all. It's not a political movement. And I, I've lost count of the amount of times I've had to say that and players have had to say that. It's not aligned to any political message. It's aligned to a civil rights movement, which is as relevant now as it's always been.
0: Do you think it's helping with, with clubs and, and, and you know, sportsmen as well and and businesses and, and people in wider society perhaps having a more proactive approach to, to doing pieces such as this one, not asking for any credit, but um, wanting to speak about it more, wanting to publicise it more in a town like Huddersfield, which has the diversity that we do, just wanting to embrace that a little bit more and, and promote it in a way that starts that conversation and allows people to just think a little bit more and and have those resources there available to perhaps confront ideas that they may have or or people from certain communities feel more supported and and feel like something is being done?
1: Yeah, I think that's been the big difference, certainly since the George Floyd killing. Everything, there were things happening slowly, I think, before then, but that gave it that impetus and now people are actually saying, what can we do? And, and almost holding themselves to certain actions and targets about what they can do. I think for a long time, football was no different to society, where it's dragged its heels a little bit. They made, they made overtures about it, about what we should do and what we didn't, but there's no, there's no impetus. There was no um, intentional behaviour. And that's what I think we've seen in the last 18 months or two years, is now, actually, this is what we want to do. This is when we're going to do it. This is what we hope to achieve by it. And all those statements and all those intentions and all those behaviours do add up. And I think that's the positive thing. Now, we've got, we've, we've, had, we've got a long way to go in terms of underrepresentation. So, say, on the pitch, people might say, well, black players are represented on the pitch, but we know in the technical area or up in the boardrooms, they're not. So there's a challenge. That, and now some of that isn't just uh, a black issue or a race issue. Some of that's a class issue, particularly, I think, in the boardrooms when maybe players as a whole don't graduate to the boardrooms as much as they do. But certainly at the sharp end of that, black people are adversely affected. And I think the stats bear that out. So I think what we're doing now, and this is why I'm I'm cautiously optimistic, not not, not about instant results, because that has to take time, it has to filter through. It'll take three, four years to filter through, but this is why it's important to get this message out. This is what we're doing. Um, come and join on the come and join the boat on, on the bus. Uh, the, you know the, the progress bus as I would call it come and join it because we're laying down some markers now where hopefully we'll see the benefits you know and arguably now in a different era in a different way if we'd have done this five ten years ago we might be seeing some of the benefits now we can't go back of course but this is what we're trying to do now
0: for, for anybody who's watching an interview such as this one or has seen any of the other material or, or you know, programmes or anything around Black History Month or, or just the issue of uh, diversity and inclusion in general, what resources or anything would you point them to if, if they feel inclined to do more reading, to do educate themselves a bit more, where would should they turn and, and look to?
1: There's, there's so much out there now in terms of books, um, you know, I think a lot of the a lot of the networks now have, have focused on black history Month, and they 'll sign i can 't can't give you just one but there 's so many books out there there 's Michael Holden, for example, has just brought out a book which you know I think he he made a very emotive speech last summer about so his books just come out why neil why why we rise and you know and a lot of that now is starting to come into the mainstream um, obviously, Black History Month brings that to focus the old <laughs> By the way, I always, I always have to caveat all the criticisms of social media by saying I love social media. It is. It's a great tool, and it's transformed the way we connect for the last generation. But that's where the responsibility uh, needs to come, from, to come with as well. But the reason I mention it, you can press Google and put and, and, and input Black History Month, but, um, Black, Book, Black, Black authors, and things like this. That's, that's where you'll start to pick up some of these resources. You know, libraries have them now. I can, I've seen a lot of that. The messaging now, again, focused a lot in October, but all around the year now, you can find these resources out, and there's probably too many to mention, but they're out there.
0: And and on the final point, I think um, one thing that I think is is happening a lot more, and and in a footballing context, again, is is people are feeling more confident to challenge one another. If something happens in a stand, if something happens on social media, if something even happens on the pitch, nobody really is, is, is too alone. There's somebody there who knows enough to say that's wrong and, and and be able to help have a direct sort of communication with the person who, who probably hasn't thought before they've engaged or, or, you know, has and unfortunately that's the way they, they feel. Is that something that you think more people should should feel the confidence and, and support and able to do
1: yeah definitely i think i think and hopefully the stewards here in the efl are the same but certainly we have focused on steward in the in the premier league about giving them enhanced training to, to look for things that or will be aware of it not necessarily looking out for but be aware of it what to do because the, the 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 benefit is that is that fans can feel um, more confident be able to do it and we talk about that cultural shift i think once upon a time you know, whether it's, you know you'd had a hard week at work, the idea was you could come to stadium and just vent. And there was nothing off limits. You could shout this, you could shout that. And again, we've got to change that because 25 years ago, 30 years when I even before I started playing, English football had a massive problem with hooliganism. You know, and it kept families away, kept young children, it kept, kept, kept women away, because that was that was the idea. Then you could do that. It was very male, very hostile. And gradually we've worked away from that so the great thing going back to england in the summer you saw all the diversity of fans there young people children women um, real diverse crowd you hopefully at, at grounds up and down the land that um that demographic has, shif- has shifted and how do we encourage that how do we encourage females to feel safe how do we encourage young young you know parents to bring the kids then we've got to make these kind of areas um, and, and, and fan bases, we've got to make them respectful, we've got to make them tolerant, keep the, the humour, keep the, the tribalness. We don't mind that, but everyone knows where the line is. Everyone should know where the line is. Saying laughing you know, at an opposition player is the pantomime villain, that's, that's, that's happened for years and long may it continue. Abusing him because of the, his race, is, that's, that's not acceptable. So people should know where the, the line is, and we've just got to set better examples for younger people who are the next generation of fans, next generation of players, and next people who want to enjoy the, the game that we all love.